When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about Elves. So part three of our series on the races of D&D, we now finish out the top uh, trio of you know humans dwarves and elves and yeah of course we're gonna get to more of the rest in the future but now we at least finally get to finish off the big three so elves uh long-lived pointy-eared uh i mean I, I always debate how much to actually talk about the lore versus the actual rules in the game so let me just go in a different direction so nathan how would you just describe D elves uh graceful pointier and better oh <laughs> actually the having that better in there is actually a very important thing <laughs> because that is an incredibly common trope when using elves is the fact that they often are shown to have this massive superiority complex which is always kind of odd to me because like in D&D you generally don't actually see like what Sure, elves are long lived and that is very good for them. But like you never really see a D&D rule uh, world ruled by elves. Like it's it's still always human centric, you know, and occasionally you might see something like the dwarves like I did. But. I don't know, like I, it's just a thing that's always been kind of odd to me is that elves do always have this superiority complex to them. And yet, like they they're never actually. Uh, to be blunt i just kind of have an anti-elf bias like it just kind of has to be said like they've just never been as interesting so i am going to go through all of the various types of elves uh in a little bit but just as a you know precursor to that holy shit are there a lot of elves like i haven't realized it because i haven't pulled up the elf sheet on the indie beyond for quite a while since some new books have come out. There are, I don't know, how many are there? 6, 8, 10, 12, 13 types of elves now, apparently. And what's weird is that a lot of them are setting specific. Like, there's the uh, Ereni elves for uh, Eberron. There's the Valinar elves. There's a couple of new ones from the Wildemount book. Like th- they just keep coming out with more types of elves, but they don't actually give them new powers a lot of the time. Like there's fucking three types of wood elf now. So there is like the Arani wood elf, the classical wood elf, and the Valinar wood elf. And it's, I don't know, it's just 
a weird choice. Like, they get a different weapon proficiency, maybe, but for the most part, they're all the freaking same. So the fact that they do just could still class these, you know, because of the lore differences as their own category, like, I'm, I'm not going to go through th- the different types much because I'm not going to focus on, like, the various types of lore between the three types of wood elves i'm going to read wood elf i might mention the thing that is different but i'm not going to read every single word for all 13 because that would take two hours and i just don't want to so that being said let's go ahead and actually talk about what being an elf gives you so This is one of the races where there is actually a decent amount of variation between the sub-races. You do have a lot of traits that elves in general get, but then the sub-race will be like, oh, you get this instead of that, or you also get these things, and we'll be going into what that actually is momentarily. So first off, the traits that all elves get. So the typical ability score increase your dexterity increases by two. So solid boost and totally fits with the whole elves being graceful shtick. Uh, One detail that is pretty neat is that a lot of people don't think about the lifespan of D&D races, although that is something that I find to be interesting. But there actually is an age information bracket in the stats about the race. And it mentions that An elf typically claims adulthood and an adult name around the age of 100 and can live to be 750 years old. So both numbers involved there are actually quite interesting to me. So first off, 750-year-old lifespan. So these are not the multi-millennia Tolkien elves. A D&D elf does live for a good number of centuries, but they are not the the complete immortal unaging type of elf. 750 years, very respectable amount of time, but not immortal. I just think that that is an interesting fact. But even the other half of that, the fact that they are adults at the age of 100 is also just fascinating. So even though they do mature at the same speed as a human physically speaking, but just that they are not considered adult until a hundred is interesting. So uh, there's no really great way to phrase this. So would that mean that elven laws would be that a 50 year old elf, even though they are physically matured for 30 of those years would be considered like statutory rape. If D and D worlds have such a thing, if they were to sleep with a human, Anyway, I just thought that that was just a interesting fact, just that they are adults at 100 years old. So they are, yeah, that's just interesting to me. It's, it, it's interesting to just think about kind of culturally of how you choose to use elves in your world. So if you have an elven adventurer character, how old are they? Is it the kind of thing where you are, the elf PC is only, you know, 30 or 40 years old and that they are just kind of on their walkabout to learn about the world and that that is why they're going adventuring. 
Or is it the kind of thing where they had a very sheltered life for their first 200 years? And, you know, they may still just look to be 25 or so by human standards still because they're still not even middle-aged for an elf. So even if they are, you know, just past their second century, do they choose to go adventuring for a purpose? Is there something that has happened to them at that point to spark that desire? Or like what have they been doing for 200 years? That is just one of the issues that I have with long-lived races in general. What are they doing? Like, did they have a career for that amount of a time? Just in a world where there are so many physical dangers out there that trying to find that mental balance of, so does that just mean that all commoners in the world would eventually get to, I don't know, third level fifth level tenth level like what is it about adventurers that makes them so much more powerful when you do consider then that even someone who tries to live a peaceful life if they are 200 years old like they would get into bar fights they would get into scraps with guards at some point over that many years so having level one elves just it, it it's always bugged me and just i don't even think that there really is any single solid answer that would be satisfactory for that dilemma that i have with them anyway sorry moving on from that ba, 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 medium size uh 30 foot speed so the speed is actually somewhat interesting because elves are often portrayed as being you know, the fastest of the mortal races. And there are some of the subtypes of elf that do have the faster movement speed of 35 feet. But the base elf is only 30 feet, just as the same speed as a human or tiefling, you know, just all the other medium type races. Well, except dwarves, because, well, dwarf. Anyway, dark vision. <sighs> I have to say, what do your elven eyes see? But what's kind of odd just to someone who is, again, more used to the Tolkien elves is the fact that a elves dark vision is the same 60 feet, same stats as every other character in the game that has dark vision. So it's the same as a tiefling has the same as everyone else. Like, elves do not actually have any significant advantage when it comes to their eyes. On the other hand, what they do have is something called keen senses, which as a racial ability gives proficiency in the perception skill. So that is where they chose to focus it instead of giving, you know, better dark vision or some other thing. So just all elves will get automatic proficiency in perception. Next up, Fey Ancestry. You have advantage on saving throws against being charmed, and magic can't put you to sleep. So that is actually really, really freaking good. So charmed is, you know, usually referred to as the mind control type status effect, although the actual powers are usually much less bad than that for most of the lower level versions, but it's still just not great to have that happen to your character so having a racial advantage on saving throws is quite nice and magic not putting you to sleep 
also not terrible, but considering that very, very few beings actually use the sleep spell, that is incredibly situational. But it is related to their next ability, trance. Elves don't sleep. Instead, they meditate deeply, remaining semi-conscious for four hours a day. So while meditating, you can dream after a fashion. Such dreams are actually mental exercises that have become reflexive through years of practice. Blah, blah, blah. You gain the same benefits as the long rest that a human does from eight hours. So yeah, elves only need four hours a day in order to rest. And that is mechanically interesting. However, it's also one of those things that doesn't actually have a lot done with it. So generally speaking, the party takes a long rest and then the next day happens. However, having trance, especially if you did have two elves in the party, would mean then that they would be the best suited to keep watch because then everyone would get to sleep for eight hours except for the two elves who would just have four-hour shift, four-hour sleep, and then swap. So, I don't know, it's just kind of odd that that is such a useful thing that just does not really get used a whole lot. Anyway, uh, then languages, they just get common as well as elvish. So, like I said, there are a lot of sub-races to elf. So, just to list them, just to have it out there, there is the Erany High Elf, the Erany Wood Elf, Drow, Eladrin, Eladrin Variant, High Elf, Mark of Shadow Elf, Pallid Elf, Sea Elf, Shadar Kai, Valinar High Elf, Valinar Wood Elf, and Wood Elf. Oof, that's a lot. So, the Erany Elves are just. I want to say that those are the Eberron ones, but it's pretty much the same as the normal High Elf and Wood Elf. So I'm not even going to actually bother going through it because it would be a waste of all of our time. Uh, actually, wait a minute. No, I am going to mention something here because I just flip, flip back and forth quickly just to see if there's any difference between them. And there actually is. So that's weird. Let me, I just, my, I am paranoid now about this. So, yeah. Fuck. All right. So I guess I do need to go through them because there are some minor differences. All right. So the Erany High Elf. So in addition to the dex bonus, you also have your intelligence score increased by one. Then the difference, the bonus that just the Erany Elves get. They can choose one skill or tool proficiency. Your proficiency bonus is doubled for any ability check you make that uses this chosen proficiency. That is actually incredibly significant. So that is the expertise feature for one skill or tool as a racial proficiency, which is interesting because then that means you get this at level one. Which I want to say, well, no, rogues also get expertise at level one, come to think of it, but better than bards who get it a little later in life. But again, the fact that this is for any skill or tool, 
could be incredibly useful if you want to build a certain style for a character that you're playing. Like if you wanted to play, you know, an elf that has amazing skill at picking locks, but you don't actually want to be a rogue, then this would be a way to give a character expertise with that tool. So that's actually really quite interesting. Uh, also, cantrip. You know one cantrip of your choice from the wizard spell list. Intelligence is your spellcasting ability for it. So again, that pairs well with the fact that they do get that plus one to intelligence. But just to throw it because I can't not say it. Hey, Nathan, what cantrip do you think that I would pick for a character? Oh, I wonder. Um, <laughs> press the digitation. Mm. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Yeah, this would be a way to just give even a non-spellcasting character the ability to have the best cantrip in the game. Or, to be fair, because I know that there are other useful things, you could also have it be incredibly helpful for, let's say you have a melee character, that you could use this to at least give the character some ranged ability so something like you know firebolt or just any of the ranged damage spells and then they wouldn't need to carry you know four javelins or what have you because a lot of those cantrips do have a 120 foot range so that would be a fantastic ranged option even for melee characters considering that a cantrip will still you know scale up with the character as they level so can be quite helpful uh then finally extra language they learn an additional language in addition to their elven and common. Then we move on to the Arany Wood Elves, which increases wisdom by one, gives them that same uh, expertise to a skill or tool, but the difference here between the Arany High and Wood Elves, they also get Fleet of Foot, which increases their base walking speed to 35 feet. So these are the fast guys. Uh, they also get a nifty ability, Mask of the Wild. You can attempt to hide, even when you are only lightly obscured, by foliage, heavy rain, falling snow, mist, and other natural phenomena. So, normally, to be able to hide, you must just be unseen. But this allows you to try to hide, even if you're only lightly obscured. So that makes this a really good option for rogue-type characters to, who do want to hide more often. So next up, Dark Elves, a.k.a. Drow. This is honestly one of the more debated races in D&D, unfortunately. But they are really, really popular because they're cool. And, well, actually, you know what? Do you want to talk more about just the lore of drow because larth so the way drow are seen is typically pretty much the case where they're, they're all they're pretty much all seen negatively and are treated as evil cultists kind of uh, elves that look like dark colors edgy edgy and um also spiders. Ah, oh, the spiders. Good old wolf. All right. Um, obviously, that is incredibly fucked up how drow tend to be treated, especially if you do consider, uh, how do I even phrase this, the real life parallels, especially now with the 
uh, current events in the world, given that this is mid-June 2020. Um, that's not okay. So having there be such obvious bias to one of the only dark-skinned races in D&D, that's no bueno. So as a DM, like that's already not been a thing in my games because that's a dumb and fucked up situation what they have you know done with drow over the years but anyway i i don't want to get too much deeper into that right now it is a depressing topic anyway the actual abilities of drow so in addition to the dex bonus their charisma goes up by one they gain superior dark vision to a 120-foot radius, which makes them the race with the farthest ranged natural dark vision, which is incredibly helpful. Now we come to a feature that infuriates me. Sunlight sensitivity. You have disadvantage on attack rolls and perception checks that rely on sight when you, the target of your attack, or whatever you're trying to perceive is in direct sunlight. I fucking hate that trait. So in D&D, a lot of the creatures that do primarily live underground have this disadvantage, and it, it's dumb. Sure, there do exist magic items that allow that to get mitigated, but there's, there's no good reason for that. Just the idea of there actually being non-subterranean drow is just apparently not at all under consideration. It's not a sidebar that says you can choose to use this if drow are subterranean in your world. The fact that that is a, you know, quote-unquote mandatory trait of rules as written pisses me off. I say just anything that has sunlight sensitivity, just strike a line through that and just delete it. It is dumb. Uh, sorry, uh, moving past that rant. Drow magic you know the dancing lights cantrip. When you reach third level, you can cast the fairy fire spell once with this trait and regain the ability to do so when you finish a long rest. When you reach fifth level, you can cast the darkness spell once with this trait and regain the ability when you finish a long rest. Charisma is your spellcasting modifier for these spells. This is nifty. I really enjoy races that actually just give you magical abilities even if you are not a spellcasting class. So dancing lights, useful, because then that means that your party is never going to be just blind due to lack of light, as long as the drow in the party does have an action available to cast it. Fairy fire, also useful, just because of the fact that it can grant advantage, which is always useful as well. Darkness, again, useful, because if the enemy can't see, that gives you the ability to potentially attack them unseen, or escape if you're in a particularly bad situation. Uh, one thing that is just also worth mentioning about that, however, just because a character has dark vision does not mean that they can actually see through darkness. That is almost exclusive to uh, warlocks who have the invocation to see through magical darkness. Most characters, period, just PCs and NPCs, just flat out cannot see through magical darkness. So the drow themselves are still blinded by that ability if they do use it. And then finally, drow weapon training, they gain proficiency 
with rapiers, short swords, and hand crossbows. So that is also kind of nifty, but also super stereotypy because that is very blatantly like the rogue's set of weapons. So even a drow that is not a rogue is good at the roguey things. But having extra weapon proficiencies is not a bad thing. But if a player wanted to be a drow and just like, hey, could I just be a non-standard drow and have proficiency with, I don't know, fucking know, a great sword? Like, that's the kind of thing that I would just say is fine. But whether you want to use them as written, you know, as always, your mileage may vary. Now, we'll move on to Eladrins. And there's two of them, which is actually a somewhat interesting story to me. So the one that is now referred to as the Eladrin variant is actually the first one to come to exist. So in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there is a section of like inventing new races and just like how to and why to do that. And so the example that they use is for Eladrin. But then later on, they actually added Eladrin as an official race in its own right with way wildly different abilities uh, in the uh, Mordenkainen's uh, Tome of Foes. So it's a kind of weird situation. So I'm actually going to go through the original version, which is the variant first, and then I'll go to the more complicated version. So uh, ability score increase, they will get the normal decks as well as intelligence plus one. They gain proficiency with longsword, shortsword, shortbow, and longbow. Useful. So again, so that gives ranged and decent melee options to any character that does have that race. And then finally, face step. You can cast the Misty Step spell once using this trait. You regain the ability to do so when you finish a short or long rest. That's super useful. Teleportation is super powerful. And what's even more interesting to me about that is that unlike the Drow abilities, which say you have to be third or fifth level before you gain it, this you get at first level. And Misty Step is a second level spell, meaning normally it is only a third level character that would first gain access to it. But Eladrin, I guess, are just so in tuned with magic and teleporty stuff that they can immediately have access to that at level one, which is really valuable. And getting a free bonus action teleport every short rest can be very, very useful to say the least. So now we'll go to the other type of Eladrin, the one from the Tome of Foes. So the other Eladrin here have sub-options of its own, which is seasonal-based. So it is either an autumn, winter, spring, or summer Eladrin. And it's more complicated because they are able to change which they are associated with when finishing each long rest. And like, it's weird how they did this because it says, you know, you can have one for your entire life or you can have it be what is season, like the actual season at the moment, or you can just have it be where, you know, you might just pick what you want. Like it's, it's weird how they just chose to do that. And I'm not super fond of it. Uh, Anyway. So 
all of this style of Ladrin will get their charisma score increased by one. Uh, they have face step as a bonus action, teleport 30 feet, and then can't do it again until they finish a short or long rest. So that's the same as the other one, except they don't call it the Misty Step spell. They just describe the effect, which is kind of odd. However, there is an additional aspect to it. When you reach third level, your phase step gains an additional effect based on your season. If the effect requires a saving throw, it's DC 8 plus your proficiency plus charisma modifier. So, if you are an Autumn Aladrin, immediately after you use your phase step, up to two creatures of your choice that you can see within 10 feet of you must succeed on a wisdom save or be charmed from you for a minute or until you or your companions deal any damage to it. So that's quite nifty. Winter. Uh, when you So again, all of these are when you use face step, so I'm just going to stop reading that sentence. Uh, creature of your choice that you can see within five feet of you before you teleport must succeed on a wisdom save or be frightened of you until the end of your turn. So as a quick reminder, a frightened creature has disadvantage on ability checks and attack rolls while the source of the fear is within line of sight. So it doesn't matter if you're next to them, they just have disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks if they can see you. That's really powerful. Plus, they also cannot willingly move closer to the source of the fear. Frightened is useful. Uh, anyway, spring. Uh, after the teleport, you can touch a creature, uh, touch one willing creature within five feet of you. That creature then teleports instead of you, appearing in an unoccupied space of your choice that you can see within 30 feet of you. That's awesome! So instead of you teleporting, you can touch a willing creature to teleport them up to 30 feet. That is super useful. Oh no, your friend is in jail. Shake their hand, teleport them out, run. And summer. Immediately after phase step, each creature of your choice that you can see within five feet of you takes fire damage equal to your charisma modifier, minimum one. That is also super cool. So as a summer Aladrin, then, like, let's say that you are, you know, a bard or warlock or just any of the or just a character with decent charisma so if you have you know a 16 charisma regardless of your class then that would mean that just when you teleport each creature of your choice which means it's not automatically everyone so you can choose to only have this affect enemies and not your allies and just give them that automatic three fire damage because it does not say they have to roll a saving throw this is automatic damage which is amazingly helpful all right so now we move on to the high elf so they will get intelligence plus one perfect that uh also elf weapon training same as the other one which is the long sword short sword short bow long bow cantrip uh pick a cantrip from the wizard spell list uh use intelligence to cast it and you get to speak read and write extra language so pretty much the same as the uh, Erini High Elf. However, the difference is that instead of having the expertise feature, they get the weapon proficiencies instead. So it's interesting trade-off, but for the most part, I could see where I would pick the expertise one. On the other hand, if you're a rogue, having the racial ability to use a longbow would be fantastically helpful, because that is honestly a thing that irks me the fact that rogues don't have the ability to use longbows 
because they should. Anyway, so next up we go to the Mark of Shadow Elf, which is uh, the next up of the Dragon Mark type of races. So they have their charisma increased by one, and then they also have a feature, Cunning Intuition. When you make a performance or stealth check, roll a d4 and add the number rolled to the ability check. Super useful. Just flat out, automatic, you know, no consumable resource. They just get an extra d4 on those things. Uh, They also have Shape Shadows. You know the Minor Illusion cantrip. Starting at third level, you can cast the Invisibility spell once with this trait, and you regain the ability to cast it when you finish a long rest. Charisma is your spellcasting ability for these. That's a really useful pair of abilities. So, Invisibility spell, just once a day, without a spell slot, useful. Minor Illusion, just fun. I very much enjoy that cantrip. It's no prestidigitation, but it's still quite good. Also, uh, just the normal fact of dragon marks is that they grant you additional spells onto your list if you are just a spell caster of some variety so you get a lot of those kind of almost rogue-ish spells i want to say so you get something like disguise self silent image pass without trace greater invisibility so just as you level up it's a, like this is a really interesting option i would say just for a elf rogue because having these magical abilities just are very useful. But if you are the Eldritch Trickster type of rogue, where you do gain the access to spells and to get these spells, real nice. All right, so now we're going to move on to one of the elves, uh, one of the newer ones. So this is the Pallid Elf, which is from the Wildemount book, which actually I guess it's not super new anymore. There's even a newer book now. Anyway. They get a wisdom increase of one, and they also have something very unique to them, incisive sense. You have advantage on investigation and insight checks. Holy shit, that's amazing. So they just flat out get advantage permanently on those two skills. That is nuts. So if you were to pair that with something like, uh, Oh, which one was it? Uh, fuck. The type of rogue that is the investigator. Why is my brain... Inquisitive. Inquisitive. Thank you very much. Uh, the inquisitive rogue. So that type of rogue relies a lot on insight checks to use its class abilities. So if you were to be that with this type of elf, to have advantage on all of those inside checks whoo that's a powerful combination all right and then finally they've got blessing of the moon weaver you know the light cantrip when you reach third level you can cast the sleep spell once with this trait and regain the ability to do so when you finish a long rest when you reach fifth level you can cast the invisibility spell targeting yourself only once with this trait and regain the ability to do so when you finish a long rest. Casting these spells with this trait doesn't require material components. Wisdom is your spellcasting ability for these spells. So that is quite nice all around because the light cantrip, just no concentration, one hour of light, super useful. Sleep, potentially useful to try to you know get past someone without harming them. And visibility, also just always useful. 
And the fact that they can be cast with no material components. So material components is not something that people think about a lot of the time because you'll usually just have, you know, a wander staff to not actually need any component. But this does mean that if you are in that unfortunate, you know, party is in jails type situation, that you can cast sleep without having a wand or without having the necessary component. Or you could have invisibility cast on yourself to just try to trick, you know, a guard to opening your cell to search for clues, but you're there just invisible. Like with creative use, that could be amazingly helpful. All right, and uh, next up, we've got the Sea Elves. So these are also from the new Wildemount book. So they gain a constitution boost of one in addition to dex. Uh, they also have Sea Elf training, gaining proficiency with the spear, trident, light crossbow, and net. So again, Sea Elves, that checks out. Child of the Sea, you have a swimming speed of 30 feet, and you can breathe air and water. That is super useful. But do not have to worry about drowning in water ever, just as an automatic level one feature. Neat. Friend of the sea. Using gestures and sounds, you can communicate simple ideas with any beast that has an innate swimming speed. You're Aquaman. Next. Languages. Uh, you also can speak, read, and write Aquan. So I guess that is the uh, water version of Primordial. All right, next up, the Shadarkai. These ones are pretty neat to me, actually, because they're kind of necromantic themed, because their whole shtick is that they are sworn to the Raven Queen, who is the, one of the goddesses of death. And it's just cool. So if you want to be edgy elf, this is another fantastic way to do that. Anyway, uh, constitution score increases by one. You have resistance to necrotic damage. Nifty. Blessing of the Raven Queen. As a bonus action, you can magically teleport up to 30 feet to an unoccupied space you can see, and can't do so again until you finish a long rest. Starting at third level, you also gain resistance to all damage when you teleport using this trait. Resistance lasts until the start of your next turn. During that time, you appear ghostly and translucent. That's fucking cool. Alright, next up, we've got the Valinar High Elves. Blah, 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 lore, lore, I don't care. Okay, intelligence score increased by one. You gain proficiency with the scimitar, double scimitar, longbow, and shortbow. So, for lore reasons, scimitars are a thing with them. Kind of neat, but okay. Uh, cantrip, again, cantrip of your choice from the wizard spell list using intelligence to cast it. And an extra language, you know an extra language. Valinar Wood Elf. Wisdom score increased by one. Proficiency with the scimitar, double scimitar, longbow, shortbow see above a uh, fleet of foot so these guys also get that 35 feet movement speed and also much like the other types of wood elves they also get mask of the wild which lets them hide just when they are lightly obscured by natural phenomena and then we move on finally to the last one the good old classic wood elf so same thing 
pretty much as above also. Their wisdom score increases by one. Proficiency with the normal elven weapons, longbow, short, uh, sorry, longbow, shortbow, longsword, shortsword. Lead of foot, 35 foot walking speed. And again, you can hide when lightly obscured, obscured by natural phenomena. Whew, that was a lot of them. All right. In short, there is a whole lot of elves out there that are well suited to a whole lot of different characters. And if you just want to play a long lived, you know, dexterous type person, there's an elf for that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tier stars lowers a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to the Patreon Discord, with your viewer chat with cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Riffwake Podcast. And now send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs and rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.